Welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror and feminism. In this first series, we're bringing special guests to dive deep into film and TV shows with witchcraft at the heart of them. I'm Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost and your podcast host. In our first episode of 2020, we go in for a biggie, our first TV show and a very important one at that. In this episode, we'll be talking all about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The beloved cult TV series created by Joss Whedon ran for seven seasons from 1997 till its finale in 2003. The series protagonist is the titular Buffy, a teenage girl trying to make sense of high school while also grappling with being the Slayer, the latest in a long line of young women chosen by fate to battle against vampires, demons and other forces of darkness. Buffy is aided in her mission by her two best friends, the very awkward and often inappropriate Xander and shy, nerdy Willow both high school outcasts she bonds with early on and who remain her best friends throughout the series, helping her save the world a lot. In this episode, we're going to be specifically focusing on how witchcraft and witches are presented throughout the whole series, from the very first appearance of witches in season 1 to the very end, paying special attention to the evolution of the show's main witch, Willow Rosenberg, who over the course of seven seasons transforms her shy, studious girl into the most powerful witch in the Buffyverse. My special guest in this episode is Becky Dark, a Buffy connoisseur and podcaster. We recorded this at the end of last year, and it seems fitting to make this our first episode of 2020. We'll be doing a full sweep of the series, so if you're a Buffy fanatic like Becky, or a newbie that binged the show fairly recently, like me, be warned of heavy spoilers throughout the whole episode for the entirety of the show. If you haven't seen it and have 140 or so spare hours, go enjoy, it's worth it and then come back to this episode. If you're not fussed about spoilers for a show from 1997, keep on listening. Got, just got, want, got just Dark Willow. It, just want to do it justice, Anna. Like, we've got Dark Willow watching over us. There she is. I mean, let's just use her power. Yes. <laughs> we've touched her head. <laughs> we've got the power. Yep. Okay. I, I don't even know how to start. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, Anna. I mean, I'm so excited. We've got... Okay. We've got very different relationships to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We do. Tell me, when did you first watch it? What's the what's the term for a fan of Buffy? Is it a is it a Slayerette? Um, I will. I've actually got a little pin badge that says Slayerette, which I should have worn. I haven't got it on my jacket today. Um, yeah, I think let's go for Slayerette. I think that may have been coined by the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, um, or they may have just adopted it from somewhere else. But anyway, they sell little pin badges that say Slayerette, um, and I of course bought one immediately as soon as they were released. It's a little heart with like a stake through it. It's adorable. It sounded sweet to me as well. Yeah, yeah. great. Um, so yeah, let's go for Slayerette. So I'm a Slayerette. So what does that make you? A noob? <laughs> is that what it is? I don't know. That doesn't sound uh, that doesn't sound romantic enough somehow. No, a Buffy appreciator. I don't know. A potential. No. A potential. Oh, yes. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. So you watch Buffy. 
the right point in your life as a yeah. teenager. Yeah. So um, Buffy hit the screens in the UK in 97, which made me 14 or 15, which is peak. I mean, absolute peak. Perfect. Um, I had watched the movie prior. So um, it was one of those uh, kind of teenage friends sleepover type movies where we'd quote along to it and, uh, you know, loved all the high kicking action, loved Luke Perry, the whole thing. And so when they announced that they were doing a show about it, it's so weird, like thinking back to that being announced, like Buffy is just such a, like a massive part of like my kind of life and consciousness, but just like pop culture like it's just it feels like a shorthand it's too big to ever have been not big yeah to have like not existed it's so weird to cast my mind back to like me not being conscious of it and it being announced and it being like a new thing coming up that I'm excited about but because we were fans of the film obviously hugely excited about a new show coming out um I think when it first screened in the UK it was on BBC two it was like tea time on a Sunday or something um so yeah I mean 14 15 year old me was just in immediately I'm gonna assume here that you've revisited over the years <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a yes. pretty safe assumption mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. how has it aged for you it's a little bit difficult to look at it objectively I'm not, fact, even, I'm not even asking. That. In fact, I would go as far as to say it's impossible to look at it objectively. <laughs> I would say, personally, it has aged like a fine wine <laughs> that I enjoy revisiting um, just whenever I can. I mean, I've got it on DVD. I have done for years. Um, but now I'll even, like, it's on Amazon Prime and it's just like, it's even easier now. Like, I don't even have to take the DVDs out of the box and put them into the DVD player. I can just be like, oh, press the button on Amazon Prime and watch it on there. It's a comfort blanket. It's an old friend. Um, It's just, it's, to me, it's kind of timeless and ageless. And I think with... Whenever you're looking at something and thinking about how it's aged, I think it so often comes down to like the quality of the production and the writing and the kind of passion that was put into producing it in the first place. It's why old movies are still revisited and why um, people still watch, you know, original Star Trek and um, like Twin Peaks and, you know, all of this stuff that has become cult and has got these huge fan bases it's because of the passion that was put into it in the first place and you know Buffy was just it's always just been really quality it's been quite interesting binge watching Buffy yeah for this episode because I don't have such a strong teenage memory of it Mm -hmm. I definitely remember watching sporadic episodes of it but I don't remember engaging in the fandom or being a fan, which really surprises me considering how much into horror shit I was as a teenager. Yeah. That it never, we never really found each other at the right point. Mm. So for the purposes of the podcast, I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk about it as if I've been watching it for the first time ever in my life. Mm-hmm. So it's been unbelievably great. We were chatting like before we started recording and like my first question was like, yeah, but did you like it? I was so scared that you were going to be like, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, I, I don't. It. Yeah, I'm so happy. I love it. I was so involved with 
every single part of it and also i've got surprisingly uh quite a few people in my life who are massive buffy fans yeah like massive so actually it's been really fun to comment <gasps> and watch along with them and are they know, loving it yeah <laughs> and kind of do that thing where you know the big um narrative plot beats happen and i'll just text someone be like oh my god i cannot <laughs> believe that this just happened <laughs> and it's like being in the moment even though it was you know 20 years ago yeah 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 so it's been incredible but it's been quite interesting as well watching it with a purpose yes of kind of discussing not the overall show not vampires not the lore not kind of the feminist credentials of it not the problematics within it Mm -hmm. none of that we're kind of going to be really going into the witchy elements of Buffy so we've been kind of quite exhaustive about looking back at how magic has been portrayed yeah. how it's evolved because it's certainly become quite a big part of the lore and the world building of Buffy in the later seasons mm-hmm. but it was introduced fairly early on mm. in the first season so do you want to can you talk a bit about kind of how magic first uh, is introduced in the series and in the Buffy universe yeah absolutely so I mean the first the first series was much more kind of monster of the week so a little bit like the sort of early x-files before it gets into more um sort of overarching like story arcs and um like ongoing narratives that sort of weave their way through the seasons um the first few episodes and really the first season of buffy was much more kind of um individual stories like per episode and a lot of them dealt with um, kind of portraying teenage life, high school life in America and kind of the pitfalls of being a teenager, being a high schooler um, through the kind of tropes of horror. So vampires, obviously, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but you also got things about kind of uh, bullying and people feeling that they're not seen, they don't have, you know, people sort of desperate for popularity and not having any kind of identity at school not having um friends or a kind of like high school politics exactly yeah um and one of the one of the kind of monsters of the week was in episode three like season one episode three is called witch and it revolves around kind of popularity very much anchored in like cheerleading so like amazing kind of teen american fodder and the kind of key um like story plot point for that episode is about um amy who is uh, a cheerleader um or rather she's like trying to get onto the cheerleading squad and so's buffy um and like p all the other cheer- cheerleaders that she's up against keep kind of um like spontaneously combusting or going blind um and they realize like the buffy and um giles and the scooby gang realize that it's kind of being done through magic so really the first encounter that we have through uh have with magic in Buffy really early on is it as this kind of malevolent force this use as um 
kind of a tool to get what you want to take revenge on rivals it's used as this sort of um yeah like an evil force this kind of um monster of the week and it turns out that actually it's not amy and it's her mum, and they've done like a freaky friday kind of body swap type thing you little brat mom please how dare you raise your hand to your mother I gave you birth. I gave up my life so you could drag that worthless carcass around and call it living. But it's interesting that it is actually Amy's mom because she's positioned as this, you know, superstar cheerleader Mm -hmm. back in her day. And the fact that she's so controlling of her daughter and that she is egging her onto you know taking advantage of her youth taking advantage of her beauty going to the cheerleading squad as if that is the the only thing that will give her value Mm -hmm. and she forces this body swap thing in that episode because she literally tells her daughter you know you're wasting your youth yeah and i love that in that first season in that first encounter with a witch in that world she falls into a lot of the kind of the characteristics of you know what we what we usually see in films is yeah, that someone absolutely. who has managed to control her beauty, her body. She looks amazing. Uh, several characters in that episode comment on the fact that she looks extraordinary, mm-hmm. and it's not just down to you know good genes and mm-hmm. being an ex cheerleader. It's obviously also magic, and she has no regard for her own daughter. Like she's very cruel to Amy, and she doesn't really care about her as a person. She just sees her as a vessel to continue her popularity or her cheerleading. I don't think it's really about cheerleading. It's about kind of being young and yeah. that very simple political playground of, you know, the cheerleaders and say the high school jocks are at the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. And she used to be that. And then she isn't that anymore. And, you know, real life is not as exciting or as easily manipulated as a, as the high school, um, as the high school playground essentially. Mm-hmm. So it was quite interesting to see that the first encounter of the witch that we have is an older woman who doesn't care for children, even her own, and who will do whatever it takes to maintain youth, power, Mm. and kind of position herself to be better than everybody else in a way. Yeah. And this kind of ruthless use of her power for like this very sort of single minded end that she sees, you know, as you say, just completely disregards even her daughter who, you know, we would expect her to have this kind of maternal um, instinct for and it's just completely overridden by this focus and this like single-minded need and obviously she's then got the kind of supernatural power behind that to um sort of impose her will on the world around her um i love that so early on they use they use the plot to really like build this law around witchcraft the kind of the set design and the um the aesthetic and stuff is quite 
stereotypical in terms of presentation of witchcraft um you know there are sort of when you see her i think she sort of does it up in the in the loft or the attic in their house so there's things hanging from the ceiling there's like dolls on hooks there's a literal bubbling cauldron and there's like a sort of chest with all of her um, spell casting books in a classic cat jump scare when Giles opens the box and the cat jumps out at him. But beyond the kind of just aesthetic, they use the writing to kind of build this world around witchcraft and already start creating this kind of really rich lore around it. So how does the witchcraft lore and Buffy evolve in the early seasons so really beyond which this first um, episode that we sort of come across witches and witchcraft it doesn't take hold beyond that until um, kind of slightly later in season one maybe into season two when um, Willow, Willow Rosenberg who's Buffy's best friend um, starts to kind of explore witchcraft herself but what I love is that they've built this foundation even so early on I think they must have you know had this um, view that one of the characters would start to pick up um, witchcraft and to sort of create this world around um, a witch character um, because you know they do sort of they, they put a lot of effort into building this rich um, kind of law um, and then as Willow it's kind of I see it as like a very natural progression from her kind of bookishness she's an absolute grade A student you know she is top of the class She's a computer whiz kid. So even before, um, you know, in 97, before anybody really was sort of delving into the internet, you know, she's sort of using it for research purposes, which freaks Giles out completely, which is lovely. She calls it the net, which I love. <laughs> the net. She sort of talks about, oh, we'll need somebody to maybe surreptitiously delve into the town hall records and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like she relishes, you know, just being a nerd like that is it she's a nerd at school it works perfectly well with willow as well as the giles's personality the fact that they are so bookish and yes into researching in and hungry for knowledge as well yes because of this association with witchcraft as this massive fountain of knowledge and the fact that it's so hidden in a way mm. is so fascinating to a character like willow yeah because all of a sudden aside from all the technology and the school work and stuff like that someone who's so intellectually driven and so driven by finding out more and learning more and knowing more all of a sudden there's all of this roster of things that she can learn and she can get better at and she can teach herself she doesn't need to be chosen that's it she's completely self-motivated which is the polar opposite to buffy who is the chosen one this power is instilled within her and almost to a certain extent imposed upon her you know she's at times a reluctant hero um and you know willow at the beginning of the series is very much in buffy's shadow she's the sidekick she's the sidekick and if you know we go full arc towards you know the last episodes of season seven when it's all coming to a head and the finale willow is the power she you know and witchcraft um is what 
creates all of the slayers it takes all the potentials and it turns them all into slayers and you know willow um buffy gives this rousing speech to her troops about how you know they will defeat the great evil because they've got willow they've got the most powerful witch in the world on their side and the idea that um you know this is all from bookish little willow at the beginning of the series where she is the sidekick has you know brings a lot of value to the team you know she is absolutely kind of you know at the peak of um like all the research and using the net exactly but she sees this chance to use that intelligence and her curiosity exactly as you say to kind of build her own power and she over seven seasons um you know does that to the extent that by the end you know she is i mean they say you know she's a goddess Mm. and also you know you get the perfect kind of um dovetailing with her nerdiness because she is so bookish and she's so intelligent and she's got that that motivation to learn but also this idea that witchcraft is so often um the kind of the realm of the outsider and willow is absolutely a high school outsider you know and the realm of the disempowered as yes, well exactly because kind of the key and i love this that witchcraft is the absolute equivalent of power yeah and in all its positives and its negatives as well it's just this this beautiful spectrum of power and how it can be used yeah. and how to use it responsibly and the attraction of it as well and willow is the most disempowered character out of the scooby gang at least in the first season yeah. you know she's almost terrified of buffy even in the first episode when they first meet because she's assuming that a girl who looks like her who is already in the first episode being sort of taken under the wing by the mean girls Mm -hmm. of Sunnydale she's gonna terrorize Willow as well and you know obviously that is not what happens but she is disempowered she doesn't see value in her skills and her intelligence in her ability and curiosity to learn and to exert and give value to that knowledge that she has you know she's not just she's offering her skills both kind of as a as a proto-hacker and then as a witch and as a researcher the support system that Buffy has kind of comes from Willow Mm. and I think witchcraft is interesting that you know as the route to power being through knowledge for Willow it's also the route to her own self-confidence as well oh god yeah in some ways it's the fact that she can see that she can grow more powerful not just for who she is but that her skills and her own personality and the way that she's wired is also conduits for power and they've got value Mm. she doesn't need to be chosen or propped up by anyone by herself except herself Mm. which i just find so fascinating to watch unfold yeah absolutely and i love that later they really explore how that power can be seductive and can have this kind of then you know, the potential to have this kind of negative effect if it becomes too, um, or if it sort of becomes an addiction. I mean, they they literally use it as, as a metaphor for, you know, drug or alcohol addiction or any kind of addiction. But, you know, when people are at high school, intelligence and smarts is it's not something to be proud of. It's not something that is valued 
in that kind of high school hierarchy I mean sure you get praise from your teachers and you know if you're bringing home good marks then you know your parents are often happy about it but really for a teenager that's not what you're looking for you're looking for validation from your peers and the nerds the bookish ones the ones who are grade a students you know intelligence isn't really the commodity at high school and so later on when she can use that when she's she's used it to build this um autonomy and power for herself it's really after she leaves high school um that she really does kind of start to come into her own and then that's when it does start to kind of be explored more as the the potential for power to be too seductive we've already started talking about willow so let's continue with her because she is the principal witch in the whole of the series what is her arc kind of through that first discovery not just of the supernatural world but of witchcraft in particular in season one and you know it's worth mentioning that amy continues being a student at sunnydale high so she is not part of the scooby gang not necessarily a consistent character but she's a recurring character she pops up every once in a while Mm. she's there and she herself becomes a practicing witch so that's always a contact with witchcraft that willow has um so what is overall kind of her arc from that first encounter with witchcraft to becoming the most powerful witch in the world Mm. it's funny with amy because i think so my reading is that amy is a natural witch so she's inherited her power from her mum and um same with tara later and same with giles in a way as well but we'll come we'll come to giles in a bit Mm. I think um, a little bit like with Buffy and her being the chosen one, again, you get this contrast with Amy and Tara against Willow. So they are more, um, I think, natural witches, whereas all of Willow's power comes from that learning, from that kind of hunger for knowledge. She encounters magic, I think, just uh, kind of, you know, because they live on the Hellmouth. And when Miss Callender starts teaching at the school, um, she's described as a techno-pagan. I love that. Amazing. Love Jenny Callender. Jenny Callender. Techno-pagan. Oh, my God. Um, Willow says at some point that uh, she wasn't a um, practicing witch, but she dabbled. So... (laughs) Um, and you know one of the the sort of point that Willow um, really starts to kind of sink her teeth into (laughs) no vampire pun intended um, when she really starts to kind of delve deep into the um, magic is actually um, after Miss Calendar kind of exits the show um, and Willow takes over her computer class and is sort of going through her books and stuff Um, and it's really at that point that she starts you know floating pencils and um, making protection spells for Buffy bits and pieces you know sort of I guess entry level magic yeah it is really through you're absolutely right through jenny's files mm. and i think their connection there is through technology because jenny is also was also extremely kind of savvy with computers yes. and so is willow so yes. kind of she inherits all of that digitized 
knowledge essentially let's not even i'm gonna skim over the fact that it's very weird for an existing high school student to take over a teacher's class after she passes but it happens so often like sure pupils taking over classes to teach them because they're smart it happened in um my so-called life as well with brian like honestly it just must be an american thing thing. yeah they're obviously short-staffed yeah also it's (laughs) totally normal for students to just inherit the personal and professional files sure of their teachers anyhow (laughs) yes jenny calendar is her gateway to witchcraft to learning witchcraft and kind of then at one point do you think kind of willow starts to gain confidence because she doesn't refer to herself as a witch doesn't she until about season three i think is in my notes the first time that she calls herself a witch that she identifies as one yeah there's little things like when other people are obviously noticing externally that she's taken on this kind of identity as a witch like in um yeah sort of uh, season three when oz buys her the pez witch which is like it still destroys me every single time like it's probably the most romantic thing that i've ever seen on screen when he gives her the Pez Witch by the locker and then she's like, but I don't have anything to give you. And he's like, yeah, you do. And it's just like, oh, God, Oz, <laughs> stop it. Oz is the best. What a guy. What's this? It's a gift. What's the occasion? Pretty much you are. Mm-hmm. It's a little uh, Pez Witch. It's kind of a theme present. Do you like it? I like I, I more than like, Oz, this is probably the sweet... We have to find a little Pez werewolf so a little Pez witch can have a boyfriend. I don't think they make a werewolf Pez. You might have to settle for a wacky cartoon dog. This is just so thoughtful. Well, I think about you. I don't have anything to give you. Yeah, you do. Yeah, so I, I think you're right, it is. And as she starts to build confidence, I think it's kind of towards the end of season two when she steps up and says, I'm the best person to try this spell to reinstate yes. Angel's soul. And she... That's her first big witch moment. It is, yeah. And that then sort of escalates with her... Um, so they try to, she tries to do the spell in the library... Um, the vampires kind of come and they take Giles away. She gets knocked out. She ends up in hospital. And then there's that incredible scene um, towards the end of the episode where she's in the hospital bed. She's got like a, a plaster on her head. She's in the gown. Oz and Cordelia are there. Oz is like reading the Latin. He says, I don't speak Latin. And she says, you don't have to understand it. You just have to read it, which is again, amazing. And that incredible shot where the camera's kind of above her Mm -hmm. and she's kind of being taken over by the spell and then her head like snaps back and comes back down and she's like in the trance. And like, I'm genuinely getting goosebumps like talking about it. That feeling of you know willow who we've been watching for two and a half seasons gaining in confidence she steps up you know she says that she's the best person to do it and boom she is and like that is just such a moment for her um yeah and then in mid-season three there's an episode where she confronts her mum i believe when she has that beautiful line where she's like i'm a witch I can make pencils float and I can I can summon the four elements. Well, two. But 
the other ones will come. Ma, hear this. I'm a rebel. I'm having a rebellion. Willow, honey, you don't need to act out like this to prove your specialness. Oh, I'm not acting out. I'm a witch. I, I can make pencils float. And I can summon the four elements. Okay, two, but four soon. <laughs> it's that first moment where she... I think where she not just does kind of perform the magic, but she identifies herself as a witch. Mm. She claims that name for herself. Mm. And I wonder... It, how radical it is to see a teenage girl who's a nerd who's bookish who's a techie who is you know in the series positioned as a as the best friend and the sidekick mm -hmm. who is you know desperately in love with um her male best friend as well at that period still boo xander yeah let's <laughs> not let's not sully this podcast with conversations <laughs> about xander harris he is <sighs> insufferable anyway how valuable did you think that this image of the witch as a learning very relatable and also very nerdy young woman is i mean for me it was it was hugely valuable i as a i don't know so by the time we got to season three i was probably 16 17 but um you know i never identified with Buffy particularly because I was never the kind of blonde bubbly one who wanted to be a cheerleader now also I wasn't a grade a student I was extremely average at school um but I was definitely much more kind of in the nerdy camp than I was in the popular camp and this idea that power could be harnessed um and kind of yeah learned adopted that you could kind of set your sights on something and you know build an identity for yourself um and then kind of use that as a platform to stand up to other people um to believe in yourself and to kind of project this image that you were building of yourself as you're sort of learning the person you are to project that outwards to stand up to people was hugely powerful for me as a teenager um so yeah i think it's i think it's more uh, with willow it's this incredible kind of journey from her being the bookish sidekick to her being you know i think you're right that's such an important moment when she stands up to her mum and she self-identifies um with this mantle that she's kind of taken on for herself but moving on into her trajectory as a witch as well and as a character they go to uc sunnydale mm -hmm. um she was accepted to oxford by the way that's where they make giles is <laughs> yes she was accepted every single ivy league university on the planet yep. and oxford everywhere basically chooses to stay in uc sunnydale i still have my problems with that but anyway she wants to stay on the hellmouth and fight evil anna <sighs> <laughs> Also, she's got a hot guitarist boyfriend in Sunnydale. I mean, who's leaving that behind? You could have followed her. <laughs> well, that's true. This is my alternative Buffyverse, um, where Willow goes to Harvard and Oz follows her. I am hugely excited about this fanfic that I'm assuming you're going to yeah, write. Yeah, yeah, this is like, this is good Willow hunting. Oh my God. <laughs> Bravo. Got a whole document That's of Willow amazing. puns. <laughs> whole document of Willow puns. 
then the sequel will be called Willow doesn't live here anymore because that's my favorite my favorite line <sighs> again with the goosebumps <laughs> stop okay, okay, okay I'll stop I'll stop I'll stop I've got the basics down levitation charms glamours I just feel like I've plateaued wicker-wise what's the next level transmutation conjuring bringing forth something from nothing Get you pretty close to the primal forces. A little scary. Well, no one's pushing. You know, if it's too much, don't do it. Don't do it? What kind of encouragement is that? This isn't encourage me talk. I thought I would share my pain. Oh, I don't know. Then again, what is college for if not experimenting? You know, maybe I can handle it. I'll know when I've reached my limit. Wine coolers? Magic. Ooh, didn't encourage her, did he? We're a supportive boyfriend guy. Oh, he's picking up your dry cleaning, but he told me to tell you he's afraid you're going to get hurt. Right, so they they moved to university, mm. and she's sort of always studying in the background. We don't necessarily always see it, but we see her evolve. It's mm-hmm. very slow burn. It sort of pops up occasionally. And even in season four, we start seeing the instances of her being warned, especially by Giles and Oz, of yeah. sort of... Oh, you gotta know what you're dabbling with. Mm. This is really dangerous. You're not you're not ready to fully understand what magic is and what you can do. Mm. And it's interesting that in her first year at UC Sunnydale, she tries to join. Uh, she joins a Wicca group <laughs> outside of the witches that we'd already encountered, which were Amy and her mom and Willow and Jenny Calendar and Giles to a degree. Willow trying to find her coven Mm. I think is quite a significant moment for her yeah and poor Willow she doesn't find the coven that she's so desperate for she finds a bunch of girls who just want to do bake sales and uh, don't actually want to cast any spells and you know this is after as well you know she's she sort of had this huge upheaval where Oz has left Um, she suddenly finds herself you know like depressed she's sort of struggling with um magic to a certain extent one of the themes that really runs through Buffy with witchcraft is this idea of spells going awry so you know you're right like very kind of explicitly in conversation you know there's the warnings coming from Giles and others about kind of the powers not to be messed with but you know, it's actually quite a big kind of plot point that runs through the series is is you get it with Xander when he wants to cast the love spell on Cordelia. That backfires massively. Willow after Oz leaves and she wants her will done. But that kind of goes awry. And so it's that incredible episode when... Um, Buffy and Spike become engaged and um, uh, Xander's a demon magnet and um, Giles, Giles goes blind. <laughs> poor, um, Giles. poor Giles. Or magic is presented very much as something that is a balance. Yes, exactly. Power. So whatever you put out will have to come back. So you always need to be be very aware of any spell that you cast will have its kind of counterpart yeah. somewhere yeah and uh, like that's um, amy says something like along those lines in um i think it's bewitched bothered and bewildered when um with the love spell um because xander wants to cast this love spell 
on Cordelia, but not to make her love him so that they can be in love. He wants her to love him so that he can then break up with her and like put her through the same pain that she's put him through. And Amy says, you know, about the balance, she says, it's all about the intent, you know, love spells are really complicated and the intent has to be pure. Um, and of course the intent isn't pure and it all goes horribly wrong, um, which serves him right. Um, so yeah, you're right about this balance and it's something that, you know, Willow, Willow's character and Amy as well, walk this sort of tightrope. They walk this tightrope really throughout the whole series where it does feel precarious. They're, they've both got access um, to so much power and it really is about their choice about what to do with that power but also there is this slightly more I don't know intangible thing about it where there are there seem to be kind of external forces that can tip things at any moment um, you know whether that's their emotions or their intent or you know something just sort of misplaced here or there um, and it always feels like it's just about to tip over like it's this sort of yeah this like danger but it's interesting that so far we've seen sort of very malignant self-serving witches mm -hmm. natural born witches mm -hmm. who are maybe not as proficient or maybe organically or naturally knowledgeable and powerful but are not pushing that power to yes. an extent in the same way as willow is and wicca wannabes <laughs> that don't really want to do any spells or do any actual magic but that's also when willow encounters tara mm -hmm. who were also sort of at the beginning given the impression that she's a natural born witch we later find out that she's actually half demon which might also be where her natural powers stem from. And I'm not convinced that that is true. That whole thing about the family turning up on her 20th birthday and the dad saying, like, you have to come home with us. You know, we know how to control you. Your mother was the same. The half-demon thing. I think that is a controlling I think it's a lie I think it's a lie the demon thing that it's it's a point of control um Spike says something like oh yeah old family legend that you used to keep the women in line so I think the mother was the witch I think Tara is a witch and I think that it's this family thing about the women being told that they're demons and that the power comes from a place of evil to keep them in check I love it I'm into it Yes. So I, I'm not sure that the demon thing is true. I think she's just a witch. Love it. Good. <laughs> Tara's a natural born witch. Mm -hmm. Excellent. You've rewritten the canon. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I accept it. Their connection is instantaneous. Yeah. And in that season, in season four, they become uh, romantically involved. And then how do you think they're using witchcraft and their powerful connection through magic as a metaphor for for queerness mm. for willow discovering that she's in love with tara and that you know coming out but also 
in some ways, and obviously this is watching it with 2019 eyes, mm-hmm. that season in particular, the only times that we see Tara and Willow be intimate together is when they're performing spells. Mm-hmm. So, which gained this whole erotic vibe around them. Yeah, it did. Which basically they're presented. What we see is them casting spells together and practicing magic. Really, they're fucking. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And it's kind of then used to masquerade female sexuality. Mm. I know you say looking at it through 2019 eyes, but actually, um, I've read a couple of articles that have said that um, it was sort of censorship from the network that um, the series was originally on. So I think up until season five, so I think the first four seasons were on one network. And even though Willow and Tara were always written to be a um, queer couple, um, the network wouldn't let them show female intimacy on screen and so actually magic was very um explicitly and purposefully used to stand in for sex and their romantic intimacy um and then when the series changed networks i think in season five there was a much um, more relaxed approach to showing female intimacy on screen. And I think it's the episode, The Body, when Buffy's mum dies, that Willow and Tara actually have their first on-screen kiss. Mm -hmm. And so Magic, up until that point with their relationship, and really as they're starting to fall for each other, um, you know, I think they they see something in each other. Tara sees Willow's potential as a witch, um, which I, you know, is definitely kind of a a metaphor for her seeing this potential as as somebody that she could fall in love with, as as a person, not just as a witch. Um, And they start to explore witchcraft together. They are stronger as a pair than they are separately when they're performing magic. They explore new spells together. You know, it's like you don't have to delve particularly deep to kind of read this stuff into it. No, at all. Um, But it's interesting because magic, I mean, you know, without going kind of into real life occultism where mm. there's a whole strain of sex magic and things like that, which is fascinating, but kind of not that much to do with this. Magic on screen has very often been used as a metaphor for female sexual liberation. Um, The most obvious example that I can think of is something like The Witches of Eastwick or even The Love Witch, where literally in The Witches of Eastwick, you know, when they encounter and accept their magical powers, they let their hair loose. (laughs) They are essentially live in a polyamorous relationship with the other all three witches and daryl played by jack nicholson so it's a much more kind of liberated way of living and how do you kind of feel that willow and tara's relationship also kind of uses magic and a metaphor for their relationship evolving as well because they first kind of become attracted to each other and we see kind of this use of spells as a as a means of getting to know each other and as a visual substitute for sex Mm -hmm. as well but then 
they fall in love and it grows deeper but also their magical connections somewhat begin slipping in a way yeah and actually as they are allowed to be sexual on screen it frees their magic story up to develop in other directions so you know one of the sort of key points about their relationship is that willow starts to overtake tara when it comes to their magical powers tara is a powerful natural witch you know um like amy she's inherited it from her mum. she's been practicing witchcraft for longer than willow has um but in season five the dynamic starts to change willow up until that point has really been learning from tara and kind of using tara's kind of I think security to push her boundaries around magic to try new things with Tara as kind of a a bit of an anchor and a guide for her and actually Willow starts to um, sort of leapfrog that and really start to branch out on her own and as she starts to do that their relationship starts to kind of fragment slightly there's a really interesting dynamic there about Willow I don't know if it's a feeling of competition I just think Tara is cautious about the use of magic and Willow is always portrayed as somebody who is a little bit overconfident with it you know she is interested in pushing the boundaries in pushing herself she she's got a little bit of kind of cockiness about herself which I think is part of the thing that she finds so attractive about magic and about this new character that she is developing through the use of magic and the confidence that witchcraft gives her is that she's able to stretch her legs a bit she's able to kind of beat her chest a little bit and you know um she's she's not interested in being held back whether that is by Tara or by Giles with their kind of caution that they're trying to you know through from a place of love and a place of caring for Willow to try and guide her and advise her she doesn't really want to hear it and that is the point that Willow and Tara's relationship really does start to splinter I don't think this is going to work It is, eh? It's working. Tara, please. I I need you, baby. I I need you. I I don't need magic. I I don't. Let me prove it to you, okay? I I would go uh, a month without doing any magic. I, I won't do a single spell, I swear. Go a week. One week without magic. Fine, fine, that's easy. Go a week and then we'll see. And how does Willow's use of magic change when she starts sort of abusing Mm. her powers? So, I mean, there starts to be this use of magic for her own ends. We talked earlier about at the beginning, you know, she was using it to make kind of protection spells for Buffy she was using it to 
locate things for the gang she was using it to restore angel's soul it was much more kind of um for the good of the gang for the good of sunnydale and really at the point that that starts to change and it does start to become a bit more kind of abusive is when she starts to use it overuse it and to use it to make her life easier and really it's when she is feeling at her most vulnerable when she starts to I think regress or pay too much attention to old willow nerdy willow sheepish willow that she feels the need to kind of use the magic more to kind of make herself that confident willow again um so she's using it in the mornings to kind of get ready which you know if it sort of harks back a little bit to sabrina the teenage witch you know at the end of the credits where she's you know zinging on a different outfit every time but even to bell book and candle which we spoke about in a previous episode of just you know this every day make life just a little bit easier because he can type of magic as opposed to big thoughtful gestures or kind of um really negative spells or spells of protection using it when it's necessary exactly you know she's using it yeah just just because it's making life easier it's making her feel better Mm -hmm. um and that's really when it starts to tip over that tightrope we were talking about earlier you know it starts to tip into the danger (laughs) the danger zone um and it's in season six where this this part of willow's character development really comes to a head where witchcraft becomes witchcraft and magic more specifically becomes a very straightforward metaphor for addiction you know even there we're introduced to this whole subterranean magical existence Mm. that is very akin and uses all the visual tropes of you know addiction films Mm -hmm. and willow visits a place that is essentially a crackdown for people addicted to magic um for witches and you know her floating around and levitating in this trance and getting juiced up on magic it follows every single pattern of 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 an addict what do you think about this other world that we're introduced to that exists in parallel to the power and the spells and the intimate connections and the lessons and the balance of power and spell casting to then this power that is very um, easily manipulated that can be sold that can be bartered that can be used to get a sort of magical high that can be abused and also be addictive so you know the kind of darkness is introduced really when um giles is kind of harking back to him and like the group that he was involved with as ripper back in the day um and their kind of nefarious use of magic and summoning demons and uh, to me it's not so explicit but there's there's this especially kind of looking back at it from season six so there is this suggestion that you know there was sort of back in the day sitting around in a an English bedsit you know jacking up like you know this sort of grimy feel to it almost which then you know comes back and sort of repays them a visit and um like a witcher train spotting 
it is a bit like mm. yeah that is very much kind of how I see it in my head and then that you know that sort of seed is planted and then it's um explored so much more deeply and more darkly in season six with willow and her addiction so amy you know she has come back willow's managed to turn her back into a human which again is sort of quite important moment it's something something that willow's never been able to do she's you know she's tried over the seasons all these times to get Amy back um she accidentally does it at some point but um and then after she's had the fight with uh, Tara and they've like split up she suddenly realizes just sort of almost out of nowhere wait I have the power to do this it's in me I've got it and then she sort of goes and opens a book and she does it and Amy comes back and Amy becomes you know formerly a rat Amy now human again Amy terrible influence yeah, she becomes this sort of enabling figure. Yes, exactly. Who... This sort of this sort of dark guy. What are you gonna do? Gonna be hard top last night. Yeah, I don't know if I can. I felt awful today, and I couldn't do magic. It took me all day to get my powers back, and I think we should just take it easy. I have a better idea. What? I know this guy, and he knows spells that last for days, and the burnout factor is like nothing. Really? He's a warlock. I guess. I'm not kidding you. This guy will blow your mind. He will take you to places that you can't even imagine. Is it dangerous? Would that stop you? Yeah, and it sort of makes sense in terms of her character because she has been, you know, her development has been stuck. Mm -hmm. You know, she... In her mind, she's still a teenager, but years have passed. You know, they've they're basically finishing college right now. They're young adults, mm. and Amy hasn't really been able to live her life in the same way. So she's just wants to go out. She just wants to go to the same places. She's all about the fun loving lifestyle. Yeah, going back to the bronze. You know, she's and also don't forget she's got to make up for lost time yeah so she's got the sort of witch party girl attitude exactly. that willow heartbroken and lonely exactly welcomes yeah. and you know lest we forget that tara leaves her because she is can, already sort of delving a little bit too deep into because she she even gives her an ultimatum she like tries to make her not use magic for a week and willow just isn't able to no she tried she cast a spell on tara to try to make her forget about the fight and about this sort of ultimatum yeah which is you know the the final straw yeah and it's a very painful but necessary development for willow because she is essentially then put on this addiction arc where she needs to hit rock bottom yeah that's exactly right and yeah so i mean the the sort of darker side of magic this glimpse that we get into the world you know she amy introduces her to rack who's this warlock he's the one that kind of runs this magic crack den um and he again he sees something in her i think what's so important with willow is that tara sees it rack sees it I think Giles sees it, that she's got this root, this innate power, this innate ability. And she goes and sees Rack and, you know, he can see it. He's a very powerful warlock. This one's giving off vibes. I don't mean to vibe at you. I, uh, 
If it's in a negative way. No, no, I, I mean you. Yeah, power of girls just coming off you in waves. And I think she needs that glimpse of herself through other people's eyes. And I think it's his reaction to her that is almost as seductive to her as the magic itself. You know, that he sees her as this powerful witch. He says she tastes like strawberries. You taste like strawberries. Which is this really evocative thing to say to her, you know. I mean, firstly, she's, you know, a redhead. So she's got this, um, this sort of, like, Alison Hannigan Willow is, she's just this beautiful girl she's got this incredible hair i love the fact that they sort of use that um as this uh, sort of uh, this sort of descriptor of her when he like tastes her and you know that's it's it's almost as she's he says that she's a strawberry it's like she's ripening you know there's something very sexual about it but also that she's as you say she's sort of hitting rock bottom but I think maybe he might know that she's going to sort of turn into something more after this experience. Um, and also, he's just a sort of nasty piece of work. But she, you know, she sort of dives headlong into it at that point. And it's through her abuse of crack magic, mm -hmm. let's just call it, is when we first get... Her first glimpse of Dark Willow as well, because yes. her when she's high on magic is when her eyes turn black for the first time, and she sort of loses control, even though she thinks she hasn't. How does Willow go from regular lovely Willow to Dark Willow? Well, Warren. Bad Warren. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Let's talk about my skin troubles. You know, I'd say on the scale of problems that she ranks. Uh, if I were you, I'd worry about the witch. Which, which, which? Willow. Slayer's pal. She's a new power, man. Anybody with intuition can feel it. She's gonna blow this town apart. Starting with you. So, um... Willow hits rock bottom. She's horribly addicted. She causes a car crash with Dawn. So she she harms a youngster that she is in charge of. You know, Buffy's trusted her to look after her little sister. All they're supposed to be doing is going to the cinema for like a fun evening out. And she takes her to the witchcraft den. Classic. Super high. Again, as you, you were saying earlier with the sort of um, addiction storyline tropes, you know, she's meant to be doing this really wholesome thing, but she's so addicted, like she can't, um, she can't stop. So she'll just, oh, I'm just going to take a quick pit stop, you know, goes and gets really high, crashes the car, dawns her. And that is kind of the moment that she breaks and admits that she's got a problem and asks for set for help and that's the point at which she enters into her um kind of detox and her rehabilitation and that kind of goes on tara and her um reconnect they get back together they have these beautiful moments together as they're sort of rediscovering each other and then tara is tragically murdered 
and Willow just loses it. And we got... Sees Red. Yeah. In the episode literally titled Seeing Red. Yeah. And we'd seen it earlier when Glory hurt Tara back in season five. So she like sucks out all of the sort of brain power of Tara, sends her um, into this kind of madness. Um, and probably my favourite which moment for willow in the entire series is when she is gonna go and um get revenge on glory buffy says no willow's like oh no 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 you're right i'm just gonna go home and like drink a cup of tea or something and of course she goes to the magic shop and she finds the book of darkest magics and goes to glory to confront her She's got the black eyes. I think that might be the moment we see her for the first time with the black eyes when she turns up at Glory's. Did anybody order an apocalypse? Alley, era, coolness, tonic. Air like nectar, thick as onyx. Kiss sail by your second star. Oh, it's the lover. That's so cute. Hold mine victim, as in tar. I owe you pain. And so we've, again, it, the series is so good at, you know, sort of foreshadowing and planting these seeds and then kind of using those seeds to kind of escalate things later. So after Tara's killed, Willow sucks the dark magic, this incredible image of her delving her hands into the books and the like sucking the words up her and it sort of crawls up her skin she literally absorbs yeah. the knowledge exactly and it's so intense yeah that her her hair turns black yeah and her her eyes turn black as yeah. well and she gets like the veins on mm -hmm. her skin and she, at that point she is just raw power and fury and grief tara was everything that made she sees it as you know her being everything that made willow good that made her worthwhile um i think at that point she realizes that it's not the magic specifically that's been making her powerful it's her relationship with tara and she says something about the only time I ever see myself as good is when I looked at myself through Tara's eyes and she suddenly feels bereft and worthless and that is what tips her over into essentially becoming the season six big bad and um you know having huge confrontations with Buffy and Giles and you know Dark Willow but also there's a certain disassociation between Dark Willow and Willow because she even talks about herself in the third person. Mm. She talks about Willow as this meek, sheepish, nerdy girl that has nothing to do with the woman that she is. She had no power, whether Stark Willow is all power. Yeah. And sometimes she slips back into first person, you know, when she's when her rage and her grief is talking, mm. when she's talking about herself. But then than that, she is just unstoppable yeah isn't she she's just this force yeah she's in a way kind of you know the 
personification of just pure rage yeah absolutely and kind of very female rage and again this is 2019 goggles in a way but warren as one of the trio of nerds who are the kind of position as the big bad of season six from the beginning but ultimately that is willow he is just this misogynistic beautiful character of a villain because he's so insidious yeah and he's played for laughs in many ways but that final confrontation with willow before she murders him in a really slow agonizing horrible fashion she makes him confront the fact that he just hates women Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a trick why warren you could have just let me go Shut up. Make it go away. It didn't have to be like that. I'm not kidding. How could you say you loved me and do that to me? Because you deserved it, bitch! Because you liked it. Oh, shut up! I never felt you had the power with her. Not until you killed her. <laughs> Women, you know, you're just like the rest of them. Mind games. You get off on it. That's why you had a mat on for the Slayer. <laughs> she was your big O, wasn't she, Warren? Are you done yet? Can we talk some more about our feelings? He hates women and the fact that he, you know, not on purpose, but the fact that he murdered Tara, you know, the one half of this beautiful couple who had just reconnected. Yeah. The fact that it was two women who had power, who loved each other, who drew power from one another and balanced each other out and made each other better. The fact that he destroyed that is just kind of the ultimate... I hate women so much that I will ruin them. I will ruin this perfect love that I can see because I don't know. I will never have it or because it just makes him so sick mm-hmm. to see two women that are happy that would never that are completely unattainable unattainable to him mm-hmm. obviously because they're gay. And that he just has no he's got he's just got nothing like they just don't need anything from him they don't he's see no exactly and of course you know the fact that it was a accident that it was tara who took the bullet is absolutely no defense to him at all because he was aiming for buffy who is you know again Mm -hmm. this incredible powerful woman and yeah willow as you say this kind of brutal agonizingly slow death that she gives him is you know she's trying to make him not only feel the pain that tara must have felt and and the fear as she took a bullet through the heart but she's trying to make him feel what she is feeling that agony and you said earlier about willow um kind of dissociating with herself and i think that is such a clever writing decision because this this path that Dark Willow goes down, which culminates in her murdering and flaying Warren. You know, if they had done that as Willow Rosenberg doing it, that would have just wiped out six seasons of this beautiful character that has always been so... Who's been the best of them? Yeah, the absolute best of them. Um, <laughs> when when uh, they think that she's been turned into a vampire, Giles says, oh, she, was, she truly was the best of us. And Xander says, way better than me. And Giles is like, way, way better. 
happening. That is Just not even a competition. What a moment. Not um, even a competition. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. She is the best of them and has been for six seasons. And if they had if the writers had taken the decision for Willow to have just, for Willow Rosenberg to have taken that revenge on Warren, which for me, as I don't know how you feel about it, but for me as a viewer, having, you know, just watched this tragedy unfold, I am in her corner. I am like, yeah, you make it slower. Like he deserves everything he gets. They need that to be Dark Willow and for her to be separate from willow rosenberg for that to for her to be able to then come out of the other side of it and by the end of the series you know become like her final sort of incarnation and what do you think willow's relationship to magic and magic as power tells us about kind of the relationship between women and power in a way because she is the the example of a character who's you know not a natural born witch like you mentioned before she learns and grafts and essentially works her way up to being the most Mm. powerful witch in the world and it's also is in season six in particular lesson on how power is addictive and corrupting and and seductive and yeah and can cloud the judgment of the best of them yes namely willow so kind of what do you think the her character arc and Buffy tells us about the relationship between magic and power? I think it's one of the best examples of female writing in my experience with TV. I mean, you know, the reason I am still shouting from the rooftops about this stuff is because she is a complex evolving character who it's not as simple as she's a woman who has power and therefore needs to be punished it's not as simple as she's a woman who has power and therefore needs to give up something else for it it's not as simple as you know she's got power and therefore now she's a bitch it's like it's she's a person and her power and her strive for it her struggle with it her success with it her failure with it is all written into you know a pretty kind of we we follow this character from like 16 through seven seasons of her at school and university and then out in the real world, her first loves, her relationship with her mum, her relationship with, you know, addiction and her friends and she is a complete character and somebody who has a complicated relationship with her decisions um, and with, you know, the the choices that she makes in terms of what she's um decided to kind of pursue in life and how she makes mistakes and the way that she recovers from those you know i just think that they were really clever in using magic as and you know her character as a witch 
to write a deep and complex character in a supernatural show. When Willow goes full berserker, (laughs) that sort of activates Giles. Because at this point in season six, Giles has left back for England. We're devastated. And then he comes back. Mm -hmm. And you know... What an entrance. Oh Oh my God. I screamed. I literally screamed. Extraordinary. Also, this is the first... You might correct me at this point. But isn't this the first time that we see Giles performing visible magic? Yes. Because up until this point... Well... Well, he's done spells and stuff. He's done spells and stuff. He's never had green beams shooting out of his hands before. No. So he, he's, yeah, he's done spells, but this, so what he's done is he has visited the coven, one of the covens um, that he's got contacts with back in England, and they have given him the power to come and tackle Willow. So, you know, nobody has got the like even Buffy like this is really the point at which um we see Willow overtake Buffy the slayer in terms of power in the show so here we are are we really gonna do this come on this is a huge deal for me six years as a side man Now I get to be the Slayer. A killer isn't a Slayer. Being the Slayer means something you can't conceive of. Oh, Buffy. You really need to have every square inch of your ass kicked. And show me what you got. And I'll show you what a Slayer really is. It's, again, sort of sown as a seed earlier that witchcraft is more powerful than the Slayer's power. So, for example... um, with Xander's love spell Buffy is like she succumbs to that same with vampires you know vampires are the key um, antagonist the key monster big bad in Buffy the Vampire Slayer clues in the title Um, and Drusilla comes under the sort of thrall of this spell cast by a witch so really early witchcraft is positioned as a power that actually it's like nobody can is kind of immune to i suppose but yeah when you know dark willow is kicking buffy's ass and she's like um you know i'm you know i'm the powerful one now and then giles comes in and he's like i'd like to test that theory and you're right that is the moment that he has soaked up the magic and the power from the coven over in england and he basically like force throws her against the wall and even so, he's overpowered by her. Yeah. Because he's almost killed by Dark yeah. And, you know, let's forget about the fact that she's saved by love and by Xander. But she, of course, overpowers him by sucking that power out of him. Yes. Which is then when she gets so overjuiced that it that that's almost like the beginning of her downfall. Um, because at that point, she just goes full like apocalypse. Exactly. And is stopped by Xander's true love for her. If if it's cool that we don't mention the bullshit about the yellow crayon, that would be amazing. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather Puke. not go there. I'd rather keep Xander in the box where he belongs, mm-hmm. which is, you know, trash, mm-hmm. inappropriate comments, 
cancelled in 1997 and cancelled in 2019 as well sanctimonious like i can't believe don't even get me started yeah let's not let's not even (laughs) yeah although you know who would who would you cast as down there now i wouldn't (laughs) i'd write him out (laughs) i'd like to test that theory The kind of the Giles moment brings me to to kind of the point of through him we learn of all of these structures that exist. So there's the coven. There's this again, this manipulation of magical power. This juicing up as needed. So kind of how how big does the witch world go in Buffy? I mean, big. Yeah, it's you know it's it's obviously international there are obviously um sort of hierarchies and various levels of power and and groups and um you know we know from um kind of rack in sunnydale you know there's there's the sort of underground witch world and the organized witch world and the sort of rogue witches and amateur witches and you know it's um it's a full kind of rich um, world that they've built in this sort of um this like really kind of meaty law i mean really and this might be controversial because it's literally not the title of the series but the the vampire mythology in buffy seems to be so much more simple than the witchcraft yeah. world that yeah, they build does. Yeah, which in is terms... kind of extra- it's like the it's like the Trojan horse. It's actually just a series all about witches and yeah. the politics of witchcraft. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get. You am get I, sort am of... I going to get crucified by Slayer? Right? No, I think it's a fair point. Um, so yeah, I mean, you do get um, sort of amazing. Oh my god, amazing flashbacks to um, you know when uh, Angel and Spike and Darla and Drew Silla are hanging out in the box of rebellion and you know all of that stuff but yeah I mean in terms of the just the writing around witchcraft the the stuff that Giles goes into about um, you know about spells and um, about yeah as you sort of say you know the 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 structure um yeah i mean i think you've got there's definitely an argument that could be made how are the the male witches warlocks Mm -hmm. they're not they're never really called warlocks really in the series how are they presented in comparison to the frankly overpoweringly female version of of witches as we see them on buffy because we mainly see ethan rain we see Giles as our main kind of warlock, and Jonathan calls himself a warlock at one point, which is you know, <laughs> lol. And you get um, Michael in the episode Gingerbread, which is the one that's yes. really kind of um, like evocative of like mm-hmm. the the witch trials. I love mm-hmm. that episode. Um, I think it is a series that very much kind of roots itself in the um, traditional female-centric world of witchcraft i would say that giles and ethan are practitioners in magic i would say that they are occultists potentially um demon knowledgeists um you know i I, even though they harness magics and sort of delve into that world 
I've never really seen them as witches or warlocks. I think Rack would be an example. I think Michael would be an example. But really, they are very fleeting characters and there isn't a, a, a sort of established male witch character at any point that I can think of um so yeah I mean the the gendering of witchcraft um and the power sitting with women is is very much running through Buffy and you know that comes down to the slayers um you know predominantly and you know sort of stereotypically as as witches I would say it does the same and um what do you think has been the influence on other screen media tv and film of the style of witching that we see in Buffy see I'm not great at my um kind of timeline so I would say that Charmed was hugely influenced by the way that witches are presented in terms of the kind of daily life side of things especially when willow and tara are together and they're kind of living their home life very much wrapped up within witchcraft but i feel like charmed was maybe a sort of contemporary with buffy um i'd say that things like the reboot of sabrina the teenage witch um could be something that is can definitely you know draw um comparisons especially what you were saying earlier about the sort of sexualization, sexual awakening around um, witchcraft and the um, accepting of power. You know, at the end of the first season of Sabrina, when she finally signs her name in the book and accepts her full life as a witch, her hair goes blonder. She starts wearing tight black clothes. You know, she's sort of walking in that very slinky way with her little gal pals. Um, So I'd say that, yeah, you know, that sort of thing has um, has been influenced. But I find it so difficult to kind of pin influence when it comes to witchcraft on screen because again it just feels like this kind of (laughs) melting pot cauldron of just all of these it's almost just something that just exists and I, I find it so hard to kind of I see what you mean. Yeah. It sort of seems to just, I mean, I know it's called the Buffy verse, but it does seem to just exist in its own world mm. and sort of untouched by pop culture, untouched by time. Mm. And, you know, even though it is very of its time in many ways, I'm not just talking about the the special effects or the language that they use or the way they dress, obviously, or the politics. Um but it does feel like visually and in terms of witch representation, let's just call it, it feels so unique. Yeah. Like it draws or acknowledges the traditional representations of witches. And even Willow in the later seasons, in a Halloween episode, she sort of jokes at a little girl that, you know, she's joking around like, oh, you know, they're going to have a big cauldron and, you know, have a witch hat and hooked noses and a tiny little cutie girl shows up and she's like, yeah, I I reject everything I've just said. Yeah. This is the most adorable thing I've ever seen. Please have everything. Please have everything. Um, so they kind of, it's very tongue in cheek kind of 
acknowledgement of what pop culture witches look and behave like mm. and they seem to coexist with them yeah um, you might know whether there's ever been a charmed reference on Buffy. <laughs> I don't sure. think so, but there's definitely a Sabrina reference. There is for sure a Sabrina reference. I remember um, it. Yeah. So yeah, you're mm. right. Actually, it's very well, as is so much of um, Joss Whedon's writing. Um, you know, it's very self-aware, mm. and um, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say it's meta, but there is. Uh, a knowingness about about Sunnydale and the Hellmouth existing in a world where they watch Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah, not necessarily referring to witches specifically, but when um, uh, when the werewolf first uh, is first introduced, Giles gets really excited and he's like a werewolf you know a classic and he sort of runs off to like (laughs) and you know again it's it's this idea that as a as a gang they're existing in a world where there is sort of law and pop culture and tropes and stuff that they can all Dracula shows up in Sunnydale and Buffy is like really yeah (laughs) get out get out (laughs) I love that (laughs) fly my pretty fly See what I did there? To wrap up, what do you think the witches in Buffy and Willow and Tara in particular, do you think there's something that they ultimately mean to say kind of about female agency and rage and witchcraft as a metaphor for power? I think in a lot of ways it's saying that women are a force to be reckoned with and you need to watch yourself, you know, that there is this power that if we set our minds to it, actually there's no stopping us. Um, that's definitely what I take away from it. Um, but then, you know, the the complicated nature of that is that it's not just this simple oh you know this woman has got this power and she's amazing and she's a force to be reckoned with it also explores the darker side of that and that women can be seducted by um by power just like men can be and that you know it's that women are complicated and that we won't fit into um a kind of a box or a stereotype you know the the fact that they take witchcraft which is often such a can often be so stereotypical in its presentation of women and power um and actually do so much with it i think you know goes further than a lot of um pop culture to really kind of explore the potential of women both good and bad I love that, but you mentioned it before really eloquently of it, witchcraft being the thing, the power that is accessible mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, women are privileged in terms of kind of how they access and perform witchcraft in Buffy, but we can see through Willow that it's something, it's a power that you can gain. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be chosen. Yes. You don't have to be given permission or allowances by anyone. You can essentially gain that power through knowledge and grafting and practice and in fact people keep trying to hold her back 
and she pushes it anyway and she makes mistakes and she gets burned and she hurts people but she learns from it and she comes back and at the end you know she does I mean she does the kind of ultimate success story where she essentially saves the world um and i think you know the allowance that they give willow's character and her use of witchcraft and what it says about her approach to power and how you can make mistakes but come back from that is you know really important thank you I love that. That's such a lovely note to end on. <laughs> but I have to ask you, what are your favorite witchy moments at Buffy? So I mentioned one earlier mm -hmm. when uh, Willow goes apeshit at Glory. Yeah. What's that bag of tricks? Yeah. Bag of knives. Yeah. With the knives behind her. Oh, yeah. love it. It's, it's not necessarily a positive witchy bit, but I do love it when they're being um, burnt at the stake and like not only being burnt at the stake but being burnt on top of a mountain of books which is like the double whammy um and amy is like fuck this and summons the powers of hecate and turns herself into a rat and just scampers off like amazing she's just like you know what i'm not putting up with this shit and just like makes a decision that ultimately does get her stuck as a rat for a while but i just love that she yeah she will just show her power no matter what the kind of consequences are and i love the way i love the witch pez <laughs> all right you want to fry a witch i'll give you a witch goddess hecate work thy will uh-oh before thee let the unclean thing crawl One of my favorite moments is not just one. Well, in the final confrontation between Giles and Dark Willow mm. is when Dark Willow is like, Willow doesn't live here anymore. It's such a drop mic moment. Oh my God. Willow doesn't live here anymore. The bit when she brings Buffy back from the dead as well. Like she is so hot and... Again, she's just raw power and she's, you can see her harnessing these things that you know that she shouldn't be playing with, but she's owning it. And I love that. And also that moment where, again, all my favorite moments are Dark Willow. I don't know what that <laughs> says. But when she confronts Buffy and she has this beautiful speech where she's like, the Slayer was never about violence. It was about power. And right now... I'm more powerful than the Slayer. Yeah. So suck on that. Yeah. Like, I was always the sidekick and look at me now. Buffy, I gotta tell you, I get it now. The Slayer thing really isn't about the violence. It's about the power. And there's no one in the world who has the power to stop me now. It was like, it's this repressed yeah. nerd rage that's coming out at that moment of like, I'm never going to be the pretty blonde one. I'm never going to be the protagonist. But right now I am more powerful than you are. And you are the chosen one. Yeah. 
absolutely love it so like it kind of taps into this you know obviously they're best friends and whatever but buffy and willow's friendship has its low points and high points in the mm. series but there's always that underlying feeling of willow feeling like second best yeah absolutely and i think at that point and her darkest moment is when those repressed feelings of inadequacy come out yeah and it's just beautiful yeah to watch. it is it's amazing yeah. i agree I do you have anything you want to plug um so the first season of don't point that horror at me which is my podcast with my best friend jill nolan about point horror books um so we're just coming to the end of season one we're going to take a brief hiatus at the end of this year and then we'll be coming back bigger and better um a bit later in 2020 um i'm also in the um process of just kicking off planning of a new podcast um still 90s nostalgia which seems to be all i talk about um an eerie indiana podcast um so yeah watch this space details still to be confirmed um but yeah you can follow me on twitter at bunny dark excellent thank you so much thank you for having me thank you for bringing dark willow <laughs> my life in shadow never the sun on my face it didn't seem so sad though and that's it for another episode of the final ghost podcast please do rate subscribe and share your favorite willow quotes with us on social media you can find out more about what we do on thefinalghost.co.uk and follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at thefinalghostuk you can also follow becky on twitter at bunny dark and i am on anna be demented thank you for listening and stay tuned for more witchy goodness next week I saw